You're listening to a Tiger Hall podcast. For more interviews with many of the world's most inspiring business leaders, uploaded daily, download Tiger Hall from the App Store or Google Play. We are in the Tiger Hall with the biggest temptations tiger of them all, Dr. Casey Lee. You're a chartered counseling psychologist specializing in conceptual behavioral science and transdiagnostic cognitive behavioral therapy approaches. You had practiced clinically in Singapore, London, and Shanghai for the past 10 years. Your areas of specialty include treating depression symptoms and anxiety disorders, marriage counseling, stress, addiction, and other mental health and mental disorders. So we'd like to know from you, from the professional psychologist, to understand what's going on beneath those intentions to change and we would never get through. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. So one of the, I mean, as a psychologist, one of the questions I get asked a lot is that people come to me saying, you know, I really need to make a change. I really need to keep fit, uh, eat healthy or stop smoking or really, you know, work harder in my marriage. People's will, willpower, um, it's not in question. They, they get it. They, they are motivated. They want to get it done. And then two weeks later, we, we, you know, we talked about plans and strategies and where to sign up for a gym. And then two weeks or four weeks later, they come back. Oh, God, Dr. Lee, I tell you, I don't know what it is. I just don't feel like going anymore. Or I tried, you know, speaking gently with my wife. Oh, then she yelled at me. You know, there's a lot of, there seems to be some other factors at play that doesn't make change or, you know, getting something done as linear or as simple as it seems. So one of the things that I really want to highlight is this this notion, this concept called the pleasure trap uh, by Lyle and Goldhammer, a book published in 2006. It's called the motivational triad, right? What it says is that as a human species, first and foremost, if you look at the way we evolved, um, we seek pleasure, right? It's very simple for us to understand. If you think about the things that you are doing and consistently doing, even if it's work, right? It's something that gives you pleasure. It's fairly straightforward. People get it all the time. And the things that you are not doing or, you know, has this kind of up and down yo-yo thingy, it's not giving you pleasure. It's, It's fairly straightforward. So let's say kale, right? Healthy diet, kale. Ooh, yeah, totally get it. But seriously, not everyone can do kale every meal. So you can see why when it's not giving you pleasure, people fall off the bandwagon, as it were, right? So that's one, right? The other, there are three items, right? This is a motivational triad. The other triad is avoidance of pain, right? Now, of course, if it's something that's painful, we don't want to do it. It's kind of straightforward. It's fairly obvious, right? Now, uh, exercise in itself, it's pain. You are introducing stress and effort, Right. And, and not everyone is into it, which is why you need additional kind of, you know, other support to get this pull through. Right. Um, if you think about, um, any form of activity that is painful, not, not in a physical sense, even emotionally or just, you know, the feeling of it, talking to your boss. Yeah. I'm not sure if I really want to raise. Yeah. But I'm really not sure if I, you know, if I want to approach this. So people take a avoidance approach to it, even though they may have set a goal, right, this year I'm going to hit my sales target, I'm going to, you know, march straight up to my boss's room, I am going to demand a raise. And how pain comes in, in, 
in ways that surprises people is, let's say if you're doing sales, right, um, pain could come in the form of rejection. Oh, I'm making a lot of calls and darn it, you know, no one is just buying this. So, you know, and I just don't want to make another call. And sometimes in, in sales or marketing, you know, really selling is it's just facing a lot of rejection. So when pain plays into the picture, people people fall off the bandwagon. It's not so straightforward, even though their goals, are, you know, what they want, they have the willpower, but then, you know, pain in itself plays a part. Even if they achieve their goals, right? They say, great, I will, I have my, I, I now have my results. I am going to go to my boss, right? <clears throat> Ayah, my boss. This man or woman, oh gosh, he, he, she is a serious piece of work. She's, you know, he's going to bite off my head or something. That in itself, it's, it's not pain, but it's a, perception, a perceived pain, right? And people avoid it. You can see how they, they literally would be on the way going towards the boss office and go, yeah, maybe another time. And then they turn towards the pantry, right? So you can see how in terms of a, a motivational triad, these are things that trips people up, okay? Now, the last thing on the triad is if, it, if it's going to move you towards, you know, sustain your willpower, it is something that requires preferably the least amount of effort. Yeah. The easiest path usually gets done more and more persistently. Yeah. If you think about every, everything that you, you do, which is why in, um, when we coach people to, to exercise, for example, we don't put them straight on a, a, a marathon training. We, we, we start them on something easier, something that's like, Oh, sure. I can do this. Right? It creates that, that feeling. If you want to eat well, right, you don't switch from a meat-heavy diet the next day to two pieces of lettuce. It, it's very painful, right? And it's also requiring a lot of effort, a lot of mental energy. People will think a lot about it. So if you say, I keep using diet as an example because it, you know, it's, it's every day for us, right? People want to eat healthy, right? Sure, no problem. I get that. Eat more vegetables, eat regularly, eat uh, sensible portions. Right. The amount of effort and thinking requires to create those meals are usually where people fall off the bandwagon. Right. They do want to, yeah, I get it. Eat vegetable. Yeah. You know, be healthy. Sure. Huh? I have to go to the market. I have to wash these buggers. Then I have to, I don't know, peel them and leave them and... And then they expire in 24 hours and then I have to do it all over again. Oh, groan, right? So you see why it's not as straightforward when it comes to willpower. And of course, along the ways, there will be other things like temptations. What about temptations? If we look at the motivational triad, right? Let's, let's put it fairly straightforward, right? There are things that creates craving, right? And wanting. And it's at some level, it's good for us. Right. So if we look at pandas, they're such a good example, right? They do not have a lot of craving for sex, which unfortunately translates to their extinction or near extinction, right? So evolutionally speaking, temptation at some level is good for us. Now, if we weren't interested in food or exercise, we, we just be a blob, right? It is temptation that, that gets us kind of, Ooh, I really want to, you know, eat energy dense food, chocolates, cakes, right? In, in the uh, caveman days, those were the things that kept um, the human species going, right? Those that had access to more energy-dense food survived better, produced more young, right? Unfortunately, in today's um, context, we have access to calories freely and easily, and it's now backfiring on us, okay? So for us to understand 
temptation, we've got to look at our reward system. So internally, we have two reward systems. One is the homeostatic uh, system, right? It's, it's basically what we need to survive, right? It is a component of physiological, behavioral, homeostatic feedback loop. What it basically means is that whatever we do, it needs to create some form of energy balance, right? As in, even if you like it, you eat X amount, right? You will reach a satiated point, as in I've had enough. Even if it's amazing cupcake or brownie, there will come a point where people are full, as it were. I've had enough, even as things as simple as sex, right? And then there's the other system, which is the reward system itself. It's a little different, okay? It, cre it creates a sensory high, okay? Things like gambling, drugs, right? So those are a little artificial. It creates this sense of euphoria, And people go into a place of more is better. I don't want some. I want to keep going. Yeah. And that's usually where people, you know, that creates a lot of problem for a lot of people. So basically temptations stand in the way of our willpower in oh, yes. some sort. Oh, yes. Very interesting. How come that a lot of people keep sabotaging their own efforts in spite of very good intentions of what they want to achieve? That's an excellent question. One, one way to think about it is to understand the neurobehavioral profile of temptation. So there's something that you want to do, right? And then, of course, there is the motivational triads, right? The least amount of effort, uh, avoidance of pain, seeking pleasure. Those are still in the way. Yeah. So think about how you align your goals in fitting all those three. But temptation, as we understand it, it's not so simple as well. It's not just, oh, I feel like having something naughty, for example. It's, it's not so direct, okay? So let's look at a few different things, okay? One of the first thing about temptation is this notion called attentional bias, okay? It literally, the way I would describe it as a psychologist is it literally creates a spark in people's eyes, okay? So there's something called a neutral stimuli. I'm going to use food as an example, okay? Uh, a neutral stimuli would be fairly kind of regular stuff. I wouldn't mind having it. Um, if I have some, it's okay. If I don't have it, I don't really, you know, it doesn't really bother me much. So um, food items, that would be something like cucumber, Um, you know, I'm just thinking, it's just kind of like, yeah, it's there. I've never met anyone who's like, I crave some cucumber. It almost never happened. And it's like, oh, if it appears in my salad, I'm kind of happy. If it's not there, I won't go, I demand some cucumber now. You know, that's usually not exactly. the case. Yeah. Uh, walking. It's something that we do. Um, it'd be nice to do it from time to time. We, You know, after you sit down for a little bit, like, yeah, let's walk for a little bit. I have never met anyone who says, I would, I want to walk all over the place now and I desperately, you know, must walk. That almost never happens, right? Um, it, these neutral stimuli, it's not processed the same way as a reward-related stimuli, okay? What would be something that's reward-related? Neurologically, it, it literally creates, you know, a, 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 a lightning storm in our brain when, when you scan it, right? Things like sex, right? It creates a, whoa, wow, you know, and once you have an orgasm, it, it literally lights people's brains up as in it creates like, it, it releases a lot of dopamine. It, you know, it creates that feedback loop that people go like, that was awesome. I want some more of it. Um, a sensation of winning, right? Uh, winning the lottery. Oh my gosh, you know, like, I'm like on a major high, right? Uh, something as simple as chocolate, 
right? And some of some of the some some of the people that I speak to, they are like, "Ooh, chocolate!" Mm, yum, yum, yum. Yeah, you can literally feel, you know, like in your brain as as though there's there's a, a surge of activity that that happens. So those are what we call a reward related stimuli. It creates very different profiles in us. Now, when you plan a a an activity, a, a change, right, to to work out, to eat healthier, to stop smoking, one of the things to think about is attentional bias. Right, the way we produce, pro, sorry, the way we process this information, it's not the same. So, cigarettes to non-smoker, it's eel yak. I don't like it, right? But cigarettes to smokers, it's like ooh, yeah, relaxation time, thinking time, or um, it, it it gives me focus, right? They they clearly do not process the same item the same way as everyone else. Okay, so whatever. Whatever that you're trying to change, and whatever the temptation is, right? One of the, the starting point for people to really think about is, what are your observed reaction towards this item that triggers you, right? So when you think about workout, right? What 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 does it do for you? Is it an is it an attentional bias? And it can be a, a positive thing in the sense that when people think about, oh, my Zumba class, yay, I get to see my friends, right? And people feel charged. And happy about it, but it, the opposite could also be true. People associate it with, "Ugh, great! I have to change, and I have to take this bus, I have to shower, and get all sticky, and and rush back to the office, and then my clothes will be wrinkled." So these attentional bias affects our action. It affects our willpower in in a very subconscious kind of way. We don't realize that in the background we are actually doing all this calculation. And we don't realize that there are all these triggers that that is a lot more uh, temp- tempting than we thought it would be, right? When you ask anyone when they start their diet, right, and ask them, so are we okay with snacks? You okay not snacking? Yeah, sure, totally. I'm like, you know, totally can do this, right? And then of course they they went home. It's it's four p.m. They kind of between lunch and dinner, and then they kind of looked at that packet of Crips and like, hmm, <laughs> right. Clearly, if it were just I don't know, a couple of cucumbers, they don't, they they won't have a hmm kind of response, right? It's it's just not the same. Some items create attentional bias. These temptations are not the same. So, is the idea to ask this important question, like what triggers me or what processes go behind in my head mm-hmm. um, just before the temptation happens? Mm-hmm. We'll we'll talk about the hot and cold gap. Uh, in a bit, right? But also, the, the the question is: I want to respond to it in the sense that different people respond to different temptation. So for some people, it's sugar, for example. They're like, "Oh, they love sweet stuff." Strangely enough, for some other people, it's actually carbs, right? I, you know what? Take away the chocolate cake, take away the muffin, take away the, the brownies. But oh my gosh, give me a bowl of rice, give me potatoes, and you know, they're like, "Ooh, carbs! I love my pasta, pizzas," right? So everyone's temptation, you know, their their uh, attentional bias, it's a little different because we have different personality, we have different likings, the way we process something, it's you know, the stimuli, it's just slightly different. I keep using cucumber, but I wouldn't be too surprised if somewhere out there there's like, oh my gosh, I grew up in the Sahara Desert and cucumber is a luxury item. When I see cucumber, I associate with, oh my God, that one summer when they've flown, um, you know, cucumber in from the US, it is totally precious to me. So, you know, it's unique to the individual, as it were. Understood. (laughs) 
Now, when it comes to temptation, there is this thing, I talked about it briefly earlier, there's this thing called temporal discounting, okay? Now, not all rewards are accessed objectively, right? What does that mean? You get the same reward, right? But when you get it, it's a key factor, okay? And there's beautiful research that's been done. Um, this little, this little naughty, um, uh, uh, psychological experiment called the marshmallow test, right? And it's a very popular one. Yeah, oh, it's yes. everywhere. Yeah. So a lot of people have heard of it before. It's basically you, you invite innocent little children into the room, right? Put, uh, a, a plate of marshmallow in front of them and say, so don't put a plate, put one, right? And say, look, if you can just hold up, hold on to this marshmallow for 15 minutes, um, after 15 minutes, I'll give you 10. Yeah. And then of course the researcher left the room and, uh, when they come back, they'll, the marshmallow may or may not be there, right? It's associated with age. Um, older children tends to have better, uh, willpower and self-control. Uh, younger ones, not so much. Now, the point here is that we, we do not process, if you think about it, the marshmallow is the same, right? It is the amount of it, right? That is different over the period of time, okay? In terms of how the mind works, right? We discount the values of future rewards, right? Whatever that is immediate, it's of higher value. Even though logically, if you tell me, uh, you know, if I wait, I'll get more. Very rational. Mathematically, it's sound, right? But the human mind and the emotions of it, it's not the same. Now, if you think about it from an evolution perspective, it makes very good sense, right? If, you know, in the caveman days, I saw a fruit, I eat it. Even though, you know, if I wait for it to ripen in two days, it could be sweeter and bigger. But then two days later, it might not be there. Right. I might not be the one that enjoys this. Right. So from those roots, right, we now have this perception of if I have something that gratifies an enjoyment, a reward, I, it, even if it's lesser, I want to have it sooner. Right. Now, um, when individuals are presented with a choice between two future rewards, right, they may initially prefer the higher value option, as in there's more, but they may have a preference reversal, okay, if the reward becomes immediately, this fruit is hanging there. It's a little green, not as sweet, but but I'm passing the tree now, you know, if I come back two days later, it will be sweeter, but it may not be there, right? So we do not perceive it, we do not process it the same way, even though rationally, we know that two days later is a better time to pick the fruit, right? Now, in general, if, if we look at food, right, the most palatable rewarding food are usually high in calories, fat, salt, sugar, right? But unfortunately, poor in nutrition. They are very tempting. They're very attractive, right? And they place immediate gratification. As in, the moment you eat it right now, you will feel, you know, it's designed to, to give you that, oh, yeah, you know, that, that really satisfying feeling, okay? As opposed to, Eating healthily, eating sensibly, eating over, you know, small meals over long periods of time. So you can see that in terms of, from a temptation perspective, they are just very different, right? One big piece of chocolate cake versus 10, you know, small meals of celery, carrots, and cucumber, right? For example, not processed the same way. Yeah. If you can have it now, yeah, a high calorie dense food, a lot of people will succumb to it.
Okay. So the temporal discounting of, you know, it really accounts for this short-sightedness in terms of people's willpower. It's like, oh, but I really want to. But when they see a reward that is available immediately, that's where people will trip. They will go like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to eat this now. Yeah, because, you know, at the back of our heads, we're, we're still cavemen or cavewomen, you know, thinking, well, I might not be able to enjoy this, right? Uh, what if someone else takes it? Yeah, so there's a temporal discounting in terms of the timing of the reward, right? So one of, one of the things for people to think about, you know, when it comes to temporal discounting is really what would help them keep their eye on the long-term price? Because fitness or quitting smoking or whichever behavioral change, right, that requires willpower, it's a long-term process, right? How do we have people think about the eventual outcome and sustaining their, um, their focus and motivation all the way there? Because along the way, I guarantee you, there will be many, many temptations. Just a quick question. How long does it take on average to... Going to be on your goal or quit temptations? Oh, that's an excellent question, but it really depends on how big is the goal. So there is a huge difference between I want to lose one kg and I want to lose ten kg, mm, right? <laughs> if if you want to lose ten kg, it's going to take you a little while. One kg probably a little sooner. So the bigger the goal, the more effort it will require, the more persistence, the more focus, the more motivated that you will need to become, right? And temptation will just be along the way, right? Between your work and your gym. Trust me, there will be cafes, there will be snack shops, there will be, you know, uh, dessert shops along the way that, you know, uh, uh, fried banana stalls and there will be temptations along the way. What are some things that you can do to just keep going? Eye on the long-term price. So what could be some of the things that we could do to keep our eye on that very desired price. So one of the things, let's say um, weight loss, right? So I have people coming to me, oh, you know, doctor, I, I have a, um, I've already decided to, to, you know, let's use weight loss as an example, right? I've decided to keep to my diet. I've got a dietitian. I got my personal trainer. Hmm. I do notice that I behave a little differently when I'm full and when I'm hungry. My association with food is different. Okay. Now, what is interesting here is what we, we psychologists call a hot-cold empathy gap, okay? So there are hot states and there are cold states, okay? When, when people think about a, a certain stimuli, whichever it may be, so this could be drugs, could be sex, could be gambling, could be food, whatever that, you know, gets people, I guess, down the naughty path, as it were, okay? Now, when people are in a hot state, you know, they are triggered, let's say when you're hungry, right? The way you perceive and process um, and value food is very different from the way you would think about it when you are, let's say you just had a good meal, right? It, it, people just like, oh, yeah, it's a good meal. Right, where, should, where do you think we should go for dinner? Huh, really? Dinner? Mm, I don't know. You know the, the response, are, you know, like people are more relaxed and they tend to make better, more informed, more rational choices. Oh, let's have something sensible, um, reasonable portions, not too calorie heavy, um, and something healthy. If you ask someone just before lunch, their response are slightly different. Oh, I don't know, just give me something, uh, lots of it, deep fried, and I want to eat it now. You know, people tend to go for more, um, I guess, more calorie heavy options because they are in a hot state. Okay. This also highlights that 
when people when subjects are hungry, when people are um, uh, in a hot state, right? They overvalue the food that they will consume in the future, right? But when they are they are full, right? When when they are kind of cool, as it were, they underestimate the value of food that they will consume when they are hungry. So this is what we call a a hot cold empathy gap, right? A hot visceral state, right, such as hunger, thirst, right, sexual arousal, um, cravings, right, they're characterized by increasingly wanting the stimuli. As in, like, literally, you can see people going into a zone, like, like wow, I just really, you know, want to perform this, right? We look at sex, sexual offenders, sex offenders, right? They get into a hot state and they really, they go on to a path of no return. They commit a crime and act, right? Most of the time, they're not, when they're not in a hot state, they don't. Anyone that, perform, that commits a crime goes into a hot state. Oh, I'm desperate. I need money. I really just need to rob a bank, right? It's what we call, they work themselves into a state, okay? And then, of course, there are cold, cold states, right? The question then is, how do we balance the two, right? When we say a hot, cold empathy gap, the gap is actually referring to how people underestimate um their, you know, the, the power of their cold state, right? And overestimate, right, the value when they're in, in a hot state. When I say overestimate, as in the reward that they think they will get or they want to get, they are overvaluing it such that they are willing to take extended risks or unreasonable kind of actions to achieve this. So this is where, you know, I guess from a third party standpoint, we look at people and go like, oh, that, that is completely irrational. And when the subject, when the individual themselves cool down, right, when they go back into a cold state, they go like, yeah, that was dumb, right? Uh, that was not an intelligent choice, right? And, you know, finish my gym and then have three pieces of fried curry puff. Oh, man, that just wasted my effort, right? But they also underestimate that after their gym, they're in a hot state. They're exhausted, they're tired, they're hungry, right? And then they see a curry puff. Normally in a cold state, they'll be like, yeah, I'll have one. That's cool, right? But in a hostage, give me three. You know, that, that's when people kind of trip up in that sense. So if we use food as an example, right? How do we have people think and plan and strategize when they are in a cold state is an important strategy, right? We know people, let's use again, food and diet um, as an example, right? People make less healthy food choices when they're hungry, right? Which is why the, the saying goes, Never go grocery shopping when you're hungry. Your basket just ends up with things that you normally wouldn't buy. <laughs> you're looking like, why did I take six packets of, you know, uh, uh, gummy bears? I don't, I don't even normally like this. But when you're hungry, you end up just grabbing things, right? When you're in a hot state, right, what can you do? And when you're in a cold state, how do you make the best of this and plan for the meals that you will have in the future.